A study published in School Psychology Review found that nearly half of the children in grades 4 through 12 reported being bullied by other students at least once during the previous month. Is bullying becoming more prevalent or are we just more aware of it? We have someone with us today who will help us figure this out. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. And I'm very pleased to introduce you to today's guest, Dr. Ankur Desai, who is a medical director for AmeriHealth Caritas. Through strategic planning and collaboration, he developed a system-wide management model for children and adolescents with bipolar disorder, which is quite frankly, quite something. Dr. Desai, welcome to Mind Talk. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Dr. Desai, you heard me uh, share a quote from a school psychology review about what might be some startling numbers with respect to children being bullied in schools. I'd like to start by asking you what behaviors actually constitute bullying. Right. So that's a, that's a great question um, because, you know, the classic, you know, kind of older kind of um, vision of what we consider was bullying is kind of the a bigger child, you know, kind of um, uh, picking on or intimidating either verbally or physically a smaller, a smaller child or a smaller individual. But it, it is not uh, as cut and dry as that kind of picture would depict. Um, you know, there, there are, there are uh, examples of bullying basically that can occur uh, with the typical kind of uh, power differential of someone physically bigger you know, kind of intimidating someone physically smaller, but it, it really expands much more than that in terms of, um, you know, anytime there's a power differential between two individuals, anytime there's a perceived inequity between, you know, kind of two, two different people, or anytime there is somebody kind of pointing to uh, uh, an identifying feature or char- characteristic of a person and, and making negative comments or depicting it in a negative light, that is really any of those kind of um, principles kind of qualify for, you know, kind of a bullying situation. So if I have a little one who uh, comes home, let's say uh, if a fourth grader, who comes home and says to me, um, you know, Sally was talking about my hair, and she was really making fun of my hair. Um, I guess it's not really helpful for me to say, ignore her, it doesn't matter. Well, I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't quite say um, that, you know, uh, that would not be helpful. I mean, I think when, when we, whenever there's a concern that, you know, uh, there's a kind of a, uh, another person kind of paying attention or kind of making a negative comment about an identifying feature or characteristic of a person, I, one of the uh, kind of principles that we do want to teach and we do want to um, kind of develop in kids is, you know, ignoring negativity. And so, you know, in a situation like you just described, I would say that it, it would be okay to kind of talk to tell a child to not reinforce it, not pay any mind to it, and to ignore it. But in addition to that, you also want to be reinforcing the ability for that child to, you know, feel good about herself or himself and, 
you know, kind of stand up for what they believe in and feel good about how they, they look and how they feel. Um, those are kind of very important kind of uh, um, uh, features and, and, and kind of lessons that you want children to kind of learn uh, at a very young age. The study, uh, again, that I quoted said children in grades 4 to 12. So those kids are really, I mean, those are real youngsters who are potentially right. being uh, bullied. Is it the case that bullying happens more or are we just more aware of it these days? So, again, a great question, Dr. Brewer. You know, I, I think that there's, there's two aspects at play here. Okay. Um, one aspect is the fact that we're more aware of it. You know, there's, you know, October being kind of uh, bullying awareness month and bullying prevention month. We, there's definitely kind of a growing awareness of bullying that the, the situations that kind of come out in the news, in the media about kind of the, um, you know, kind of the, the worst case scenarios that happen when a child is bullied. And, and, you know, unfortunately they, you know, they do kind of something that's, either, you know, kind of in terms of ending their life or something other, uh, some other type of tragedy. I think those are kind of things that definitely play into the bill, the increased awareness about the potential consequences or downstream effects of bullying. However, bullying at one point in time before technology became such a big factor in our day-to-day lives was, could, could be more circumscribed or it was more kind of, you know, kind of contained, if you will, um, to a specific environment, whether it's it was at school or at another kind of environment where the, you know these two individuals were interacting, yes, it was more kind of limited. But with technology, with the fact that we're always kind of tuned in to the phone or the tablet, um, and this includes ourselves, this includes our young people, the fact that we have you know kind of the technology connection, one one aspect of that is that we never. Um, you know, the kids never actually get a respite or a break from any type of um, negative experience that they're kind of going through. And that includes something like a bullying situation or a situation where somebody's being intimidating them or kind of pointing them in a negative light. That can continue outside of school. It can continue outside of a situation where they're kind of interacting face to face with each other because. You know, text can happen, you know, social media, uh, the social media presence, uh, you know, the, the way that, you know, kind of children are involved with like live, um, you know, kind of uh, uh, person-to-person um, kind of uh, video games, all these kind of, um, you know, kind of uh, uh, on-screen environments are potentially areas where, uh, you know, ch- children can kind of either be the um, victim of, you know, negative comments or negative kind of experiences. So the and so it, it's really it's go ahead. No, please continue. So it's really hard to shelter a child. Um, you know, it's harder now than it was before. Is I guess what I'm trying to say because of the fact that we have you know kind of that access to technology and you know the the bullying or the intimidation can 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 be kind of seeping over from just one environment and it can kind of be kind of all the time and that leads to someone who's, you know, kind of uh, being victimized by bullying to never get a break. I guess that's the, that's the most important kind of thing to keep in mind with how it's changed recently. So thanks to the advent of all these improvements in our ability to communicate with each other, bullying could, in fact, be a 24-7 experience. 
That's correct. That's correct, Dr. Brewer. You're, you're, you know, this is, this is what the worry is. This is what the concern is. Are there children who are more likely than others to become bullies? So I, the answer to that, the way I respond to, to that kind of uh, question is any child, any child can potentially be a victim to, to bullying. Um, it doesn't necessarily... You know, I mean, I think there are children there that may be more vulnerable. Um, you know, you, you take, for, in, for instance, uh, children that are, you know, kind of uh, uh, questioning with their gender or they, they, they're exhibiting signs of kind of gender dysphoria. This is, you know, what, you, they're kind of conflicted about what gender they want to be. That's one specific example that, you know, is kind of uh, we're, we're kind of really kind of increasing awareness right now. Um, it could be any kind of, um, you know, kind of thing that kind of separates them from the mainstream. So, their sexuality, um, they, you know, children with special needs, uh, children that could be even be children that come from different cultural or ethnic backgrounds. Any of these things are, uh, you know, kind of um, identify them as unique. And that's why I say that any child can have any of these kind of unique identifying, you know, kind of um, features to them or their life. And so any child can be kind of vulnerable to, uh, to bullying but there are some children that are, you know, kind of um, specifically more vulnerable. And I would say that those are, those are children that, you know, may have um, some, some issues in terms of their, um, you know, uh, special needs or, uh, um, you know, kind of sexuality. Or and these are just examples of that where they might be a little bit even more vulnerable than someone, so another child that doesn't have those issues. Can a parent take a look at his or her child and know that the child is likely to become a bully? So, again, the, the, the way to look at this, this type of scenario where are you worried about your child, you know, being a bully or intimidating another child, there's not one specific feature um, that would kind of give you a telltale sign that, you know, uh, you, you would need to be concerned that they, they would be bullying somebody else. But a lot of times, children who bully other children are, have a history of being bullied themselves. Okay. So that would be the one indicator that I would kind of keep in mind is that if they have an issue or a history of having, you know, kind of an adverse or negative kind of interaction with kids in their past, they, they potentially are, you know, vulnerable to kind of exhibiting that behavior on somebody else or on another child. Um, so that, that, that's kind of the main thing to keep in mind. I think, you know, a lot of times when we think about bullying, we, we often worry about the victims. But in essence, it's not only the victims of the bullying that, that need the support um, and the intervention. It's also the children that are engaging in the bullying because more often than not, they have a history of some adversity and, and uh, of some type of victimization or some type of trauma. So actually, there are victims on both sides, both the child who is being bullied and the child who is engaging in the bullying behavior. Correct. That's correct. What should adults be mindful of as they're working with children or or have their own child? Is there a particular Mm -hmm. pattern of behavior that would suggest to you that someone might be the victim of bullying? So that's a great question, um, and, you know, and, and, you know, I know as a parent, you'll always kind of be, want to be aware or kind of knowledgeable about some, some uh, indicators or telltale signs 
uh, when, when to kind of raise your level of concern. So I, what I tell families um, or, or how I look at it is that when you see and you, you trust your gut on this as a parent, you trust your instinct. When you see that there's a change in their overall behavior or they're acting out of character, you know, um, you know, they're not responding to things in the way that they would typically respond to, to things in their environment, in their living environment or in their community. Other, other kind of important thing, kind of things to keep on a uh, really high lookout for would be a change in their overall outlook towards school. Are they kind of exhibiting avoidance type of strategies to school, kind of complaining of kind of vague stomach aches or headaches or things like that um, as a reason for not going to school? And, and if that's a change from, you know, kind of previously wanting to go to school or looking forward to go to school, that would be kind of a red flag for me. Yeah, what's going on at school that's making this kind of a uh, kind of a child not want to go there? Um, other other important things to kind of be on the lookout for would be any particular changes or specific changes in their eating or sleeping patterns. A lot of times, you know, we think of those as indicators for an emotional disorder, potentially, you know, depression or something else, anxiety. But they can also, you know, depression and anxiety can be downstream kind of effects of being in a situation where they're being victim of bullying or being, you know, kind of traumatized by bullying. You look for other, uh, a drop in grades. Again, a drop in grades could be due to a lack of motivation, a loss of interest, a loss of concentration abilities. Again, we look at those in the mental health world as potential indicators of a depression or a child that's, you know, kind of struggling with depression or anxiety, but they can also, that depression anxiety could be kind of a downstream effect of being kind of a victim of bullying or being traumatized by, by, uh, by, by a bully. Um, and this, the other thing that, you know, kind of is kind of interesting, if you notice kind of missing personal items, you know, uh, things that your child had, um, or small valuables, you know, um, lunch money, uh, pieces of clothing, um, you know, kind of uh, accessories to their phones or, th- you know, things that kind of a- uh, carry some small amount of value that they have and, and, and that are theirs to keep, but they're now missing or they've lost it or, you know, they can't find it. You know, again, if it's kind of in association with some of these other changes in terms of their overall outlook towards school or their sleeping patterns or, you know, their overall kind of uh, behavior, then I would kind of be thinking, you know, kind of what's going on at school, is something going on at school in terms of the child having a negative kind of interaction or a negative experience with another child. You know, if you think about it, it makes sense that a child who is being bullied would experience some measure of depression, uh, would experience mm-hmm. some measure of anxiety. Why would they not almost is a way to think about it. And it's interesting that you're bringing that up because, um, you know, when you look at the literature, um, and I don't know how much in detail you want to get into this, but when, when you're looking at the literature, there was a very um, kind of um, comprehensive article that came out uh, in the professional literature last year about what are, the, what are the kind of the downstream consequences of being a victim of bullying. So the three highest statistically significant kind of downstream consequences of being a victim of bullying were emotional problems like depression and anxiety, overall poor general health, and suicidal ideation. And then in a, in a fourth, kind of a not too distant fourth was substance use. 
So those are the kind of those are the things that you have to keep in the back of your mind when you are trying to help a child that might be victimized by bullying. And you know, as you uh, as you talk about, as you identify those indicators, those are indicators that could suggest not only bullying in school. Uh, by a peer, but certainly could suggest some abuse at home by an adult. That's true. That's true. You have to kind of get more information for that particular child and, you know, the environments and the systems that they're in, you know, the different places they are, you know, throughout the course of their day to kind of figure out, you know, where are the challenges? Where are the kind of the situations where they're kind of, um, you know, they're, they're struggling with things? You know, I, th- I think as as adults, we like to um, rewrite history a little bit very often and look back on childhood as at least potentially this wonderful time where you had, right. you know, popcorn and bubbles and balloons and it was all great. And And sometimes I think we may forget how complicated and how challenging childhood can be for a child. You're so right. I mean, you know, when I, I mean, just in terms of when I think of back to my childhood or, you know, how things were when I was growing up and, you know, I don't, I'm dating myself, but, you know, when I was a child growing up in the 80s or early 90s, um, you know, I just think about the good things. I remember, you know, the positive experiences that I had more often than some of the adverse or traumatic experiences. And I guess that's probably the nature of the human mind to, kind of, you know, to, to, to remember some of that stuff, you know, unless, you know, the negative stuff was so significant and so impactful that it's kind of part of your psyche. But, you know, you think about the best times that you've had and you think about, you know, the positive experiences um, more so more often than not. You mentioned uh, as one of the consequences of bullying suicidal ideation. Do you have a sense of how often completed suicides have a fairly direct bearing on bullying? So in terms of the, I don't have a specific percentage in terms of, you know, how how often, you know, kind of the, the dots get connected from bullying to you know, to a completed suicide. But when you look retrospectively, when you look at completed suicides, you do know that one of the biggest risk factors, you talk about depression or or emotional uh, disorders, you think about uh, interpersonal conflicts. And I, I would classify, you know, kind of interpersonal conflicts or negative uh, interpersonal interactions as, um, you know, kind of bullying in that category. I would, I would put bullying in that category. And that's one of the top, you know, most common risk factors for, you know, for suicide, uh, um, you know, kind of a, uh, a completion. What, if, if someone, an adult is listening um, mm-hmm. and saying, oh my goodness, uh, I think this may be going on or went on, what are some reasonable ways for adults to begin to interact with the child who they suspect is bullying or being bullied? Okay, so for, you know, if, if you're a parent and you suspect that your child is being victimized by bullying, you know, that they're being bullied, 
you want to get a full picture. First of all, get a full picture of what, what the full situation is. You want to get the full perspective, you know, because oftentimes you're going to hear the child's perspective first, right? But you need to, you need to also kind of get the other side of the story too, to kind of get a full picture of what the situation at hand is. Because a lot of times it's, it's more complex than just, you know, uh, your child's report. But I, the main goal when you're, when you're working with a, a child that's being victimized by bullying is to teach them to be assertive and to, and to also kind of build conflict, you know, kind of teaching them how to kind of deal with adversity, deal with conflict, resolve conflicts. How do you get there? Well, it starts with, you know, teaching them to be strong and stand up for what they believe in, stand up for their beliefs and their convictions. That's, that's the undergrounding foundation. Once they have that kind of, you know, kind of as the foundation, you move up and you tell them that you need to ignore the negative. It doesn't do anybody any good to kind of stay and dwell on negative people or negative experiences. You can't play into it because once you play into the negativity, it gets reinforced. So those are the two kind of building blocks. And oftentimes, you know, when the child is struggling, how do I do this? You can role play with them. You know, what, what are you going to say to somebody that's intimidating them or aggressive? Them? How would you deal with it? What would you say? What would you do? In terms of safety, you know, if there's, there's a safety concern, you know, kind of in addition to the, the bullying, if they're kind of being physically intimidated or something like that, you want, to avo- you want to tell the child to avoid being alone with the bully. You don't want too much time where they're kind of just the two of them because that, that can oftentimes raise a situation where there's a safety issue. Um, you want to teach them to kind of be very clear in terms of how to, what they're expressing, their feelings, their perspectives, how to express it in a very clear and concise way. And you also, you as the parent and the child, want to be very familiar and identify the authority figures, whether it's in the community or at school, that can intervene effectively. Not just anybody you know, that they come into interaction with, but the people that have the training and the, the ability to do something about the situation. You know, one of the other things that strikes me um, that we actually don't really have time to go into today is the idea, we always think about bullying in terms of it being two children, but in fact, it might be an adult who is bullying a child, and we certainly know about bullying in the workplace. So the, this this uh, experience of bullying is one that certainly transcends, if you will, um, age brackets, which is really not a sure. good thing. It's very sad. Sure, and I think the second part of your question, what if your child is the, is the aggressor? What if your child is bullying somebody else? Again, the first step in any, on either side of this is to get the full picture. Listen to all sides, get the collateral information, figure out what the situation is because it's usually more complex. It's not black and white. And if your child is the one engaging in the aggression or the intimidation, get an idea of what they're saying specifically and what they're doing because that's not going to, you know, that in, down in the long run, you, you're probably going to teach them better social skills and better interpersonal skills by modifying that, you know, um, but, you know, by not being as aggressive or intimidating, you want to spend more time with your child and, and kind of figure out what exactly are they struggling with. A lot of times people bully other people because they're insecure about something. They're insecure about something about themselves or about their own life. 
So you really want to understand what they're struggling with and why are they targeting that particular person? Are they targeting that particular child or that particular person because their grades are better or because they, they play soccer better or, you know, um, is it jealousy? I mean, this is, these are the kind of things that you really have to kind of have to get to the bottom of. And then on top of everything else, you want to hold them accountable. Nobody can make you do anything. You know, they, there's, no ex, there's no reason to do something aggressive to somebody else. Uh, you have to make them accountable for what they're doing and what they're saying. Every child has kind of a positive strength. They all have some, some asset. You want to be able to build on top of that. And last but not least, as a parent, you mentioned you know, this can happen at any age, and you're right. You want to be a model for your child. If your child is kind of engaging in negative interaction or aggressive or intimidating interactions with their child, you want to model the behavior that you want to see in your child. I think, you know, I think that's, that's the thing that we often lose sight of. They're looking at you. They're Absolutely. watching you in terms of how you deal with people. You know, um, so that, that's, that's one thing that you really have to keep in mind as well. Dr. Desai, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, I'd like for you to tell us a little bit more about AmeriHealth Caritas. Folks, we'll be right back. Stay where you are. Dr. Desai, AmeriHealth Caritas, what is that? And am I pronouncing it correctly? So, yeah, you, you are. AmeriHealth Caritas. Okay. Um, and that's the, that, they're basically, um, they're part of the Independence Health Group, uh, which is in partners with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. That's a kind of a long statement, but basically they're, they're um, uh, one of the nation's leader in healthcare solutions. They, they um, operate healthcare solutions in 15 states and the District of Columbia, and um, you know they work with over 5 million members of uh, people that um, use Medicaid, Medicare, or children's health insurance programs uh, to get their health care needs met. Um, and uh, you know they they've been doing it for a very long time, over 35 years experience. Um, they're based in in Philly. And they have, you know, they, they have that experience of over 35 years of really working with people in need, um, whether it's economic need or in terms of chronic illness. They offer that, and, it, and they offer lots of healthcare solutions, which include things like behavioral health, which is, you know, kind of my, my neck of the woods. Um, but they also are involved in, you know, pharmaceutical benefits as well as integrated uh, managed care products. Um, so it certainly sounds like they cover uh, a, a, a large portion of the population that would, in fact, uh, access services. And as you describe the work that uh, is done for children within the system, I mentioned it earlier on in our conversation today Um uh, I'm, I'm going to have to ask you, put you on the spot, if you will come back and talk to us about children and adolescents with bipolar disorder, probably one of the more challenging experiences for children and adolescents and definitely their families. 
Sure. Uh, yeah, I, sure. I would happy, be happy to do that. Dr. Desai, how does one learn more about uh, the organization that you work with or get in touch with you to ask any questions? Is there a website or an email address that would work? Sure. So the website for uh, AmeriHealth Caritas is www.americahealthcaritas, altogether, no spaces, dot com. Um, we also can be accessed through um, the major social media sites, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Um, you know, those are kind of the, the, the most of the information is on our company website, but uh, we understand the social media presence, so you can also access, you know, can, and communicate via the, via the, uh, the social media sites as well. Thank you again, Dr. Ankur Desai, Medical Director for AmeriHealth Caritas. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you so much, Dr. Brewer. Thank you for having me. And folks, thank you for joining us on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service and is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is available on demand by going to mindtalk.org. Org. That's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. Don't forget to go to the mindtalk.org homepage. Sign up for our free weekly giveaway. And you can also sign up for our weekly program guide. That's all at the MindTalk homepage, which is, again, M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And remember always, folks, if it's unacceptable, then it's unacceptable. You take care. Thank you.